do you have the buy-in from your boards? Do you have the ability to get things done if we ask? And they went, absolutely. That was a game changer. On day three, we went, oh, this is just going to be amazing. Hello, this is Matthew Grant, one of the partners at Instec London. In this week's episode, I'm talking to the three founders of Describe Data, Gerald DeVere, Michael Crawford, and Mick Cooney, at the end of their session in the Lloyd's Lab earlier this summer. Now, although based in Dublin, the team are regular visitors to London. We often see them at Instate London. Gerald is founder of InsureTech Ireland, which is part of the Jita group, of which Instech London is one of the leading companies. Now, it's really interesting to hear how the team have been testing out different propositions for insurers before landing on one specific area for where they were going to build their business. And this is in the space of DNO, directors and officers. Uh, whilst during the Lloyd's lab, the team built out a tool to help underwriters assess the risk and manage the exposure to this $10 billion area of risk. Now, their experience in the Lloyd's lab was clearly a big success. Lots of engagement and support from Lloyd's and the underwriters. Describe Data was one of 10 companies to be selected from over 250 that applied for the second Lloyd's Lab cohort. And they provide some great advice for companies starting out building technology solutions for insurers, whether through Lloyd's Lab or indeed anywhere else. Here we are in the Lloyd's Lab sitting in a padded cell and all looking like remarkably casual for being in Lloyd's and of course no sign of alcohol anywhere. Uh, joined by Jared DeVere, Michael Crawford and Mick Cooney, co-founders of Describe Data who are just about to wrap up their uh, cohort in the Lloyd's Lab, I think working over the weekend to pull together their presentation for next week. So uh, Gray, I knew up on stage talking about cyber in Stet London earlier this year. Is, is that still what you're doing with Describe Data or have you pivoted a bit since well, then? The answer is a bit of both. And we, we, we basically uh, built a risk engine to look kind of agnostically at, at various areas of risk. And the first thing we looked at was actually life and health information from the UK. And we built a product for, um, for, for basically HR departments and, and quantified HR to help companies figure out how their, you know, what their employees look like on a, on a kind of a, an aggregate scale. Um, we then applied that to terrorism and uh, kidnap risk, which is what we applied to the first uh, cohort of the Lloyd's Lab uh, with. And then one of the things we looked at, because we're all technologists, is cyber. And we looked at a few of the tools that are out there, and we talked to a few people, and we realized there was an opportunity to start looking into cyber and using the same approach that we had of looking at new data sources and using technology. And we did a lot of work on basically building a very unique cyber data set. And when we actually looked at the market, then we kind of done after three or four months of looking at the market, we kind of realized there was an awful lot of stuff going on. People were flooding into that market and it would be very, very difficult to actually make an impression um, in, you know, in the, any kind of timescale. So we kind of reviewed and um, what we were doing and looked at looking other areas. And one of the things we've looked at and what we've done for the second cohort of the Lloyd's Lab, which we got into, is using the same techniques on directors and officers insurance. And that's a much more tractable problem in the timescale that we have in the lab, which is 10 weeks. Interesting. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm sure there are people out there doing DNO or directors and officers, but I, I'm not familiar of many companies doing that. So is it, does it still feel like you've tapped into a market that's got a big potential? Well, the market globally is about 10 billion in premium. Uh, 50% US, 50% rest of world. 
Within the London market and Lloyd's specifically, there are a lot of people underwriting DNO, and it's still quite a manual process. They use a lot of computers, obviously, to gather the information, but they collate the information manually. They they build kind of like very simple reports. They look at financial information from companies, and then they kind of they use their gut feeling and and basically their market knowledge to to underwrite that. And what we've done is we've taken that process and we've basically automated as much of it as possible, but still leaving the underwriter in complete control. So what our idea is to give them a better understanding of the risk that they're facing, being able to project it a bit better, to be able to understand what risks, are, emerging risks are coming down, and also to do something which is quite unique, which is look at their portfolios of risks and stress test them and understand how does a new risk affect my portfolio. So these tools are really, really kind of, they don't exist at the moment. And we've talked to the market over the last kind of three or four weeks um, by, by building a focus group. We've probably talked to maybe 30 directors and officers and underwriters. And most of the meetings we have is like, are along the lines of, this is really interesting. We really need a tool like this. Yeah, very interesting. So, so why, you know, why do you think no one's tackled that successfully so far? I think because it's a particularly difficult problem that looks like a particularly easy problem. Um, for example, Mick, our CTO, um, went back to look at all of the uh, ticker data for publicly traded companies in the US over the last 20 years. That sounds like a relatively easy data set to grab. It's actually not. It's very complex because companies merge, their symbols change, uh, there's a lot of activity in that space. So that's an example of what seems to be a simple problem that isn't. So we were attracted to this because we're good at taking large unstructured data sets and distilling useful insights out of them. And, and to be frank, we were a little surprised that somebody wasn't doing this. It was only when we scratched the surface and saw why people weren't doing it that there were some pretty difficult problems to overcome. And we think we have. And any, anything coming out at this stage where you're seeing themes that you know, might not have been identified previously by underwriters or you know, are counterintuitive to what people might previously have thought? We're still learning and we're still extracting the data. Um, we have noticed that there seems to be, and we've yet to prove this, there seems to be a good correlation between uh, corporate health and cyber health. So in the work that we did initially on, on cyber, it's interesting to align companies that are run well. In other words, they have no class action lawsuits or no uh, corporate issues. And the implication is, of course, that if the companies run well, then it is also run well from a cyber perspective in terms of CISO and business continuity planning. So that was one thing that we've noticed that we're trying to pull a little bit, a uh, bit, little bit more information out on. Okay, and uh, Michael, perhaps just in terms of the, the particular um, insurance class of DNO, it might be worthwhile just for anybody who's not familiar with that to say a couple of words about it, uh, and then also interested just in terms of thematically how you're looking for the risk, you know, the balance between looking at the corporate risk, but actually also you know, the people themselves, how much is that influential in terms of assessing the risk? Yeah, sure. I mean, directors office is directors and officers insurance is basically a class of business purchased usually by companies to indemnify the directors of a publicly quoted company or sometimes privately quoted company um, against um, a, a lawsuit that basically is filed against the company. Otherwise, the directors would have unlimited, unlimited liability. And a lot of the time, say in the States, for instance, it's more or less a prerequisite because it's very hard to attract board talent if you're basically saying you come in, come on board and work for me and if the company gets sued you're going to go bankrupt so it's in place as a safety net for them and it's actually quite it's quite a niche area of business it's some area it's something you probably wouldn't have heard of if you're outside the insurance world or the corporate insurance world but it's actually quite a big business now we found when we're talking to a lot of underwriters which uh, what we've done over the last week when you, you talk to them all of them say 
there's a couple of things strands to the DNO. It's like how well the companies run. Basically, whether it's a you know if it's a large public company, you're going to you, there are certain things that will trigger a class action suit that you can't really do much about. Things like you know stock drops, which might be because they've done something in terms of the company's uh, had some kind of failing. But there are also malicious cases that kind of that come out, and they all have to be defended. Um, but fundamentally, what we hear from from um, underwriters is that. DNO is a people business. You're underwriting people, so understanding what those people's probity are, what connections they have, and what other work that they've done is a very important part of that business. And that's what we're starting to look into the connections. Now that information is kind of quite, you know, it's relatively easily available. You can find out what other boards people are on and what other things they've had. So the question is, at the moment, that's a process of. It takes a long time for companies to, to extract that information. And what we're doing is building tools, very simply, that do the simple stuff well and very, very quickly. And, and the sources of, of data for that, if you're looking at people, what kind of... Oh, I mean, things, I mean, you've got all the... Basically, if you look at the Edgar database, particularly for um, the US, uh, it's a massive kind of trove of data on company directors, and who and you can basically build network graphs of, of who's, who's, who's worked with who, and that sort of thing is very, is very, very indicative. But there's a massive information in there. The problem is it's a very, very dense and huge data set. Even just trying to deal with it is, is, is actually you know, it's relatively big data. So you're into engineering problems very, very quickly. Quickly. And then on the, the other public side of the actual claims data, the for security class action suits, that data is readily available. But it's Stanford have a large corpus of um, security class action suits, but it's it's effectively text data. It's you know it's it's basically court court proceedings, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that's a very very useful resource. But again, it takes work to actually extract quantitative information out of it. And and then the brokers are obviously key in this, given that it's Lloyd's. Are you also, as part of the work you've been doing, engaging directly with the brokers to get their input into this? Yeah, we've looked at, we've talked to a lot of the primary insurers, and we've talked to a few brokers, and they have very slight. They have, I mean, they're all interested in this because the DNO market is actually, you know, it's hardening. The, the, the premium rates are going up, so people people are actually interested in 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 this a scenario where people are starting to to looking to basically come into. The brokers tend to be more kind of like looking at it on. A, on a, a one risk basis, they, they're interested in this risk that I'm pl- placing now. What what price can I get for it? And what we've done because we've done some quite even relatively straightforward modelling, we can actually figure out what the underlying rate of you know of, of what the underlying claim rate and the severity and frequency of, of of a DNO claim is, and we can project forward and we can basically give you a more or less a kind of value bet on on how much how much you're going to you know th- th- this is going to to cost you if if you take the if you take the premium. Um, the brokers kind of look at it from a one risk point of view and where, you know where they can get deal but the insurers have you know the a they want to look at the risk one risk but they also want to think okay what portfolio what what aggregations do i have you know where where am i lacking what do i you know do i want to write business i've got a lot of business in one sector do i want to write it in another and we can start looking at that quantitatively as well and that kind of doesn't exist at the moment that kind of non-geographic aggregation it's probably you know it's, it's probably bread and butter in, in things like hurricanes and storms but not so much in things like dno and casualty Got it, and and then so you've built the, or you're building the tool. How do you anticipate that the underwriters would actually get access to the analytics? Do you have to build a separate platform for that, or do you link it up through an API, or do you partner with somebody else? Well, what we've done is we've built a prototype product, which is you know is the full stack effectively. It's got a front end on it, just because we know that to actually the people who are going to use this tool 
are basically probably not the people who are going to buy the tool because you know the IT department or the, the underwriting people are going to buy are basically going to be buying it, but the actual users are going to be the people in, on the on the on the shop floor effectively. So we've more or less built the whole idea, the whole kind of stack of the product. But what we will want to do eventually is offer this as an API, and people can put it into their own systems. But we'll happily sell you a front end as well. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that is a really critical part for anybody building technology. Is the two things there? One is my experience. A company doesn't need to have a front end that people can understand, visualize what's going on, but also recognizing that not everybody will necessarily want to use that front end. So you need to be able to create the, the flexibility to go straight to the data using the API. And at some point, maybe the front end just disappears. It's, but it's very hard to sell something on the basis. You can't. Of I mean, we, we work in a startup um, accelerator in Dublin, and it's, it's co-sponsored by Google, and they come in once a month and do mentor meetings. And we've had some really interesting mentors from Google who basically have said, you know, if your product takes more than half a day to train someone on, you're dead in the water. You know, solve the first five problems well. Um, the very, very straight. These are their ideas of like we we do this for a living. These are the things that you have to hit. You have to build a front end. You know, it doesn't, you can't sell an API. Yeah. yeah. And then you, you mentioned the uh, lab in Dublin. So that kind of brings us on to the Lloyd's lab. What what's the sort of the primary reason for applying to the Lloyd's lab, and how's that worked out in, in practice? The primary reason, as, as Michael said, uh, that we applied to cohort one uh, as a very young startup was really to answer all the questions that the application process forces you to think about. So, you know, what corporate structure would we think about? What products? How would we go to market? All that kind of information. So uh, it was nice to know that we were all pretty much on the same page when those questions came through. Um, we really didn't expect to do as well in cohort one as we did. We almost got into cohort one as a very young company. And we learned a lot from that process. So when the time came to apply to cohort two, about six months had passed, we could show some pretty decent progression in terms of the risk engine. Um, Michael had already been on the stage f for the pitch at cohort one, so he was quite familiar with the process. Um, and I think it went it went really, really well. I mean, we got a lot of very positive feedback on the pitch for Cohort 2, and here we are. And is there a fast-track process if you make it, if the companies that try for Cohort 1 or guess those that try for Cohort 2, you know, the, the next time round they kind of get the front of the queue, or does it just depend on the case? I don't case? think so. I mean, I, I, from what we've learned uh, from the good people at Marks, the process is, is pretty linear and very well structured. So it starts with an open call. Uh, I think about 250 to 300 companies have applied typically for each of the two cohorts so far. Uh, the, uh, the market itself, through a number of various connections, helps to distill that down to a long list of about 60. Of that list, about 20 make the short list and they're invited to pitch. And of the 20 that pitch, 10 are offered places. And in cohort two, there were two other companies that were already involved in Lloyd's uh, who were also offered places. So there are 12 actually on cohort two. Great. So I'd be interested to hear the, how the actual experience on the ground works. So you turn up the first day, fourth floor, don't have to wear a tie, no jackets and wear some jeans. So what happens over the period of time you're actually part of the lab? Well, we were very good about being suited and booted and even cufflinked, I think, on, on day one because we, we were quite familiar with the Lloyd's process. Um, the first week was incredible. It was it was full on. There was a lot of information. Um, we had speakers in from the LMA, from uh, Limas, from uh, basically every different aspect of Lloyd's. We got to do the Lloyd's tour with the head waiter, um, you know, really bringing people up to speed with how Lloyd's works and what it is. Um, the essence of it being a marketplace and, uh, you know, the history and the etiquette and so on. And then we really hit the ground running. We went straight into 
in, into working and meeting our mentors and um, you know trying to get as much out of the process as possible. And, and back to your point, Michael, about engaging with the underwriters. So how, how does that process work? Because you know, everyone's busy. You clearly, if it's to be valuable, you actually need to get some time in front of these people. Initially, you're probably not going to have anything much to offer them. How does that work and how you know, how willing did you find people were to talk to you in this sort of fairly early stage? Okay, I mean, we, when we signed up to the Lloyd's Lab, you signed up to a participation agreement as a, as a, um, as a company. And that basically says, you know, you, you can share your IP with Lloyd's and, and you, Lloyd's can share data with you. Lloyd's also has a mentor agreement, which is also signed where basically the mentors can come in and they're basically handpicked from various companies. They self-select themselves to come in and they have a very similar agreement so they can share data with us and they can talk very freely and frankly about what their problems are. Um, so we kind of we signed this document and we thought this is great. You know, this is how to see how it works out. We walked in on day two to our first mentor meeting. There were seven mentors from across the market, all marquee names. Uh, they shut the door and literally they basically went. They opened their kind of kind of kind of hearts to us. Like this is the, these are the problems that we have and this is we want to give you data. And we kind of said to them because we've been in a lot of these meetings. Like, are you people? Do you have do you have the buy in from your boards? Do you have the ability to get things done if we ask? And they went. Absolutely. That was a game changer. On day three, we went, oh, this is just going to be amazing. So then getting access to people was no problem. You say, I would like to come in and have a meeting with you. Can you put me through? And no problem. Just bang, bang, bang. And that has been facilitated by Lloyds and L. Marks. They're absolute, they've been absolutely brilliant at that. So it is a very grown-up incubator. They don't really hold your hand, but you're basically given the tools and the access and just told you, knock yourself out, kid. And has that, do you think, been the experience of everybody else on the cohort, or is it because you've got a specific application that people really see there's this value? A combination of things. I think because we're, you know, we're not youngsters, we know the way this market works, we have a lot of connections anyway, and we're, we just came in and knew that we what we wanted to do was come in and basically make as many connections and get ourselves and our product in front of as many people as possible. So, and that's what we've done. We've just taken every meeting to the extent that we've, you know, we've pushed off anything that wasn't uh, wasn't core to the business. Such as we've had a lot of interest come from VCs and seed capital funds, and we've had to say to a lot of them, "Look, can you come talk to us in July?" At the moment, we've we're basically what we're doing now is we're making hay while the sun shines in Lloyd's. And you're now at the point where presumably you're starting looking to get people to pay you know, POC or some kind of consulting project. How, how is that looking in terms of getting some revenue coming in? Um, what we did was when we, we kind of settled on DNO kind of week one or two of the lab and we basically ran it by our mentors. Now, some of them write DNO, some of them don't, but they said they'd, they'd basically back us and they'd come and give us help and they'd introduce us to people. So we had a trade show halfway through this, this process our week five. And what we did is we actually built a prototype in three weeks of our product, a real live functioning product. And it looked very ropey because, you know, it was a prototype and deliberately so because you don't want to want to produce a, a finished product. We had a trade show. We had probably about 150 people come into the lab and we got massive amounts of interest from, from that. And that drove an awful lot of conversations. From that, we actually went back to L. Marks and Lloyd's and the LMA and said, we'd like to put a focus group together of, of DNO underwriters. And they basically opened the books to us and basically contacted maybe you know 10 or 15 companies and most of them have come back and we've had one-on-one -on -one meetings with them. We've then crowdsourced what they like and what they don't like about that and then in the last three to four weeks what we've written is that. And any sort of early indications of what you can charge for, for it? One of the things we came in here is actually what business model works as well. So we've asked people what business because you know people say, oh, let's charge per use or charge for a license or charge. And basically, you know, we've, we've actually made, asked those very explicit questions. If you were to buy this, how do you want to pay for it? 
So that's actually, you know, almost what we try to do with this with this this process in the Lloyd's Lab is basically build a product, but also get product market fit and find a business model that works. So if we come out of this with a product and investor ready, then this is, you know, that we've 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 absolutely hit all our marks for for, the, for what we wanted to get out of the Lloyd's Lab. Yeah, and I guess the great advantage of being here, you either you're either going to succeed well or or not at all because it's the nature of the way the business works here. You, you're probably going to see a, you know, more than double digit users of the product or, or none at all you know yeah. it's, it's unlikely you, know, you with the business wouldn't survive anyway but just mm. the way the market works so well congratulations on that sounds like a very sort of productive and effective um use of time so just switching back a little bit to to instead london you've been fantastic supporters of ours you've come across from dublin i think even especially sometimes to come and see us just you know be interested to get your perspective on you know what you've made of that and any sort of advice to anybody that hasn't yet been to our events but you know what they can get out of them well we kind of started coming probably i mean i think i bumped into robin at the kind of digital garage in like 2015 or something like that i think it just it was like uh Intertech london had just started and slowly but surely started coming over to to, to london because that's basically where all our business was at the time we had a small consulting company doing kind of uh, bespoke um analytics work for insurance companies and it was just we knew nobody in london and it was an incredible way to make a network very very quickly and coming from ireland it's a small country networks are really powerful and people i think people underestimate the power of a network and contacts um, and that's one of the reasons we come back it's i mean also it's also you know we've met lots of people we know we've made loads of friends uh, we've made loads of contacts through it it's just been and i would highly recommend coming to instech london but just in general, living in any business, you know, go out and find who other companies that are doing something, and go to those events. And this is how you, this is where you get your your next job from or your business from. Yeah, sorry. One thing I like to say about this, Matthew, is some people ask me like, why should I go? And what I always say is because because companies spend tens of thousands of pounds for market research, and you can just come to these events. And well, I know if, for startups it's free. For other people, it's a, a nominal fee, but you get fed as well. And you know, I mean, I know, and there's sometimes there's free beer if you fancy it. Uh, so. It's the kind of thing that marketing companies charge a lot for and you just get it and you show up and you see a whole bunch of companies or just see what the trends is going on. Thanks, Mick. Yeah, and, and actually, if anybody wants to see the uh, Describe Data team in action, we can look at the uh, probably thousands of photographs now on the website and uh, yeah, literally see how effective they are at networking. Thanks very much for, for carving out some time. I know you've got a lot going on, but it's been a pleasure and best of luck and yeah, look forward to hearing how it all goes after um, after you leave the lab. Thank you, Matthew. Thanks, Matthew. Much appreciated. Gerald, Michael and Mick are now back in Dublin, but they are over in London regularly. Come along to our Instate London events if you want to meet them or drop in and see them if you're in Dublin. Talking of events, we have an action-packed autumn season coming up now. Our next event will be on the 24th of September, where we'll be holding a reverse pitch for insurers and other large corporations to tell you what problems they are trying to solve. Come along, you may find your next client. Details of this event and all our other events, plus soon to be released the rest of the events for the remainder of the year at www.instec.london. <laughs>